From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Australia will end up spending over $100 billion on eight nuclear power submarines. It's estimated to be one of the biggest spends in the history of the Australian government. So why are we buying them? Are they the best use of taxpayer money? And will they even be able to do the job that they're meant to do? Today, former Director of War Studies at the Australian Army Research Centre and Adjunct Professor at the University of New South Wales, Canberra, Albert Palasso, on whether new submarines can actually keep us safe. It's Monday, November 14. Albert, as we speak, the Australian government is pushing ahead with its plan, a plan that's worth hundreds of billions of dollars, to buy eight submarines in this deal with the US and the UK. To begin with, why does the Australian government say that we need these submarines? Well, it would be really, really nice and helpful to the Australian public if the government would be a lot clearer on why we're buying these submarines. We have an existing class of submarines, the Collin class, and and they are well past their use-by date and need to be replaced. The question is, why are we getting nuclear-powered ones? And the only answer seems to be that Australia wants to project power into the East China Sea and the South China Sea in conjunction with the United States and presumably the United Kingdom against a potential adversary known as China. Okay, well, let's talk a bit about China in the South China Sea then, because we we know obviously that China has substantial interests in that region. But what is its naval capacity like and what would it like to be doing with it? Do we know much about what China's plans actually are? Well, for the last 20 to 30 years, China has been building up its navy, the People's Liberation Army Navy. The reason why they're doing this is that the United States has demonstrated the ability to basically go anywhere in the world it wants to. Uh, I think the message is, should be loud and clear that we're serious, and if sufficiently provoked, we could respond uh, uh, with uh, military power. And it very powerfully demonstrated that ability in 1991 with the invasion of Iraq, uh, where it projected force halfway around the world and then did what it wanted to do in Iraq. Now, as China's economy expanded and as China's military grew both in sophistication and power, they started building up a fleet of ships. China launched 25 new warships last year alone, defense officials tell As well as air force missiles, nautical mines, 
and a whole slew of other kinds of technologies. And that includes a hypersonic test that flew around the globe, maneuverable in flight, and traveling five times the speed of sound, defense officials warned. With the express purpose of preventing the United States from projecting power into areas that China reserved for itself. One defense official calling the Chinese military growth stunning. So China has created a quite sophisticated, what they call an anti-access area denial zone. And this includes all the way down into the South China Sea, where it has uh, built bases on artificial islands. Now, more recently, the Chinese Navy has started to take on the attributes of an expeditionary navy, gaining offensive capabilities, not just expressly defensive. For the first time in 42 years, China's nuclear submarine fleet has been revealed. The submarines are now taking part in a military drill in China. And so they're building aircraft carriers. They have some in the water now and more are coming. They've built nuclear-powered submarines, and more of those are coming too. And so they're gaining the attributes of a fleet that can go further afield, presumably initially in the Western Pacific, but beyond the coastlines of the Chinese state. Okay, so there's this area of water that China has laid claim to, and it's built the capacity not only to defend that area, but also to potentially gain more power in other areas, perhaps in the Pacific. And and as that has happened, presumably the US and the Australian government have been monitoring what's going on. So can we talk a bit about our response and, and how the submarine deal comes into that exactly? So this is where one of the points of tension that we see uh, between the United States and China China wants to stop the Americans from interfering in what it believes are its waters. And the United States wants to continue to possess that right as the global power to go project power wherever it wants. So the United States, unlike China, has a network of allies in the Pacific. President Biden has announced a deal with Great Britain to supply Australia with nuclear-powered submarines. It's a clear pushback against China in the Pacific. Chinese state media warning Australia that it's now an adversary and to prepare for the worst. It's essentially suggesting to its allies and friends that would be a useful idea uh, for them to also start uh, building the assets that one would need in case of a potential conflict with China. And so, you know, Australia has responded here by deciding to build these nuclear-powered submarines. The first major initiative of AUKUS will be to deliver a nuclear-powered submarine fleet for Australia. Over the next 18 months, we will work together to seek to determine the best way forward to achieve this. And just very recently at the Submarine Institute Conference, uh, the Defence Minister, Richard Malls, said that we're getting these submarines to be able to project power at a much greater distance from Australia than we have in the past. And he didn't use the word China, but you know, you're supposed to be able to you know, recognize what he's intending. And so the U.S. is drawing upon its allies to develop the sufficient power to prevent China from doing what China would like to do. 
uh, you know, the United States and Australia see Chinese interests as not being supportive of American or, and Australian interests. Um, so each of these two powers are looking to develop their strengths to protect their interests. Okay, so these nuclear submarines, they're really the cornerstone of AUKUS, and they're supposed to help us and, by extension, the United States to project power into the South China Sea. But can we talk a bit about the submarines specifically? Why nuclear submarines, and are they a good fit for Australia's defence? Well, first off, there's no doubt that a nuclear-powered submarine is a really an awesome piece of technology. They're very big. They're very powerful. They can do things that no other submarine can possibly do and do it for longer periods of time. So they are the, you know, the Ferrari or the Lamborghini of submarines. And only a few countries have them because they're very complex. They're very expensive. And of course, you've got this nuclear reactor that you need to maintain. But we haven't stopped to ask, why do we want to go to the South China Sea? Are there other options to defend Australian interests, separating them out from American interests, because we are technically two different countries? And so could we do them in a different way that could involve perhaps conventional submarines, which are cheaper and easier to operate? Or can we perhaps look at doing you know, autonomous systems? Or there are other options here. The lure of working with the United States sort of draws us to that logical conclusion of getting these submarines. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Albert, the nuclear submarines that Australia is committing to, it sounds like they're the best that you can get. They're powerful. You just called them the Ferraris of the submarine world. However, you also said that they might not actually be fit for purpose. So tell me about that. What are the downsides? Yeah, so eventually our goal is to have eight, which would mean in readiness terms that we might be able to have two or three in the operational theater in the South China Sea or the East China Sea, somewhere there. Two submarines really doesn't pack that much punch. When you're talking about China, a very big country, a very advanced country, heavily industrialized, there are lots of potential targets. So 
the threat that we could pose from our point of view looks, oh, we're so powerful. But from the Chinese point of view, we are irrelevant. And by contrast, the Chinese have 66 submarines at the moment, and they're building more. Their ability to hurt us, to position submarines off the West Coast or the East Coast of Australia, for example, is much greater than our ability to you know, inflict harm on them. This also requires Australia to take a very big gamble, a technological gamble. We're assuming that the state of the art now will still exist in 20 years' time when these submarines are operational, because that's how long it's going to take us to get them, 15 to 20 years, and then they got to get, you know, you have to learn how to use them. So let's say in two decades' time, what we're expecting that the ability of an adversary to locate your submarines will not change from today. Now, to me, this seems to be a very poor bet because technology at the moment is advancing at very rapid rate. And one of the areas that's advancing very rapidly is in detection technologies. A submarine is only effective if it can hide. And if it can't hide, it's just dead. So then, Albert, why would we be pursuing this then? Is this really just about our relationship with the United States? And and what message is Australia sending by going ahead with this purchase? Well, what we're signaling to the United States is that we will stand by them. The relationship with the United States goes back to 1942. The alliance goes back to 1951. So it's been around for over 70 years. Uh, So this has been an enduring alliance. But what's the consequence of the AUKUS agreement? Somewhere between the minister's caution and the military's enthusiasm are a multitude of problems that only seem to have become more complicated since the AUKUS announcement 12 months ago. Now, we've seen very little about the AUKUS agreement, and it now exists for more than a year, and it's not really been defined. Defence Minister Richard Miles is already talking in the opaque language of countless defence ministers before him. I think there is an optimal pathway to use the language that that we are starting to see, which does involve uh, all three countries working really closely together. Now, the ANZUS Alliance, by contrast, you can Google that and read it. It's it's a one-page document. So what the AUKUS agreement looks like and what the obligations that are built into it, we don't know. Now, I think as a citizen, we have a right to know. And I think the government is doing a disservice to the public. At the end of a discussion, the decision may be to adhere to the U.S. alliance because that is the best deal for us. But until we have that discussion, we don't know. Okay, and when we think about how these decisions are actually made, the thinking around defence and around what the, the biggest threats to our national security are, Are there things that we're missing? Because with the focus on China, I can't help but wonder if we're actually not thinking about the other threat, the threat of of climate change and and the instability that we know that that is likely to to bring to our region. And that's not something that submarines would be very useful against. So the people who make defence decisions, I mean, they're all fine, intelligent people, but they've all grown up within a system that puts the priority on the threat being another state. And here I'm not just talking about China, I'm also talking about 
when climate change starts to ravage the neighborhood, climate change is just a different kind of threat. And the submarines will be entirely useless for a climate emergency. Nobody expects China to invade Australia, conquer Australia, or for Australian society to come to an end because of China. But climate change, all of those threats are in play. Climate change is such a high-level threat that it could bring the entire human project to an end. And yet, we're worried about a second-order threat, whereas we should be thinking about what does climate change mean from a security perspective and what do we need to prepare for the instability of a climate-driven future. And we need to start thinking about how we protect ourselves in a more violent, disruptive future. And I can tell you, nuclear-powered submarines do not have a role in that future. Albert, thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. Happy to chat. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has been left off Xi Jinping's official list of one-on-one meetings, which was released ahead of the G20 summit. Xi will meet with US President Joe Biden, French President Emmanuel Macron, and Argentinian President Alberto Fernandez. Albanese has been pursuing a meeting with the Chinese president and may get one, with Chinese authorities confirming Xi is open to meeting with other world leaders once he arrives at the summit. And thunderstorms are causing flood warnings across New South Wales and Victoria. Authorities warn the risk of flash flooding will continue into Monday, with particular risk to northeast Victoria and the central and southern tablelands of New South Wales. The weather system is expected to clear by Tuesday. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.